Welcome to The Shed Wireless, a podcast for shedders. Produced by the Australian Men's Shed Association and hosted by John Paul Young. Yeah, there's something for you at the Men's Shed. Hello and welcome to the Shed Wireless Podcast, made in Australia and distributed all over the world for the love of shedding. I know it's been a little while since our last ep. I hope you haven't missed me too much. I've been out and about and working with the Shed Wireless team on a special ep for you. More about that later. Cool air is certainly creeping in around the country, so grab a cuppa and settle in. Here's what we'll be talking about this episode. Our shedder in the spotlight is John Glover, better known to his mates as Gloves. These days, he spends a lot of time at the Naruma Men's Shed on the New South Wales South Coast. We had a chat about life and his current favourite pastime, being a pest at the shed. I bet he's not the only pest out there in shed land. I'll tell you what... Let me know about your your pest in the shed. Just uh, drop me a line at the shed wireless at menshed.net. I reckon that'll be something fun. On the tools, we're in the shed at Centenary Suburbs in sunny Queensland. Oh, it'd be nice to be there. Marty and Stuart were on the road and popped in to see the fellas and in particular learn a bit about their Atkinson steam truck project. You can also check out some pics and video on AMSA's blog, The Shed Online. Visit www.menshed.org forward slash the shed online. I'm getting very technical these days. Butch is looking forward to a trip on the road fishing in the Kimberleys. And again, I'm jealous. Butch told me about his plans and I'm really jealous, but we won't tell him that. Do you know men are three to four times more likely than women to get bladder cancer? AMSA's Men's Health Project Officer Stuart Torrance has his finger on the pulse of a bladder cancer, chatting with Beat Bladder Cancer President Adam Lynch. And to round out, I've got something new for you. We're getting our groove on at Max Music Shack. I'm chatting to an old friend of mine, a self-confessed music nerd, but better known as a music historian. Mac and I took a walk down memory lane, reminiscing on what you might have been listening to from the 1940s all the way up to the 1980s. You can even find the playlist on the AMSA YouTube channel. So, you know, if you are around your early 80s, you would have experienced just about everything we're going to talk about today. So let's get into it. You're listening to The Shed Wireless with my good friend, John Paul Young. It's a podcast for shedders across Australia and around the world. Get ready to shed. Yeah, there's something for you at the men's shed. Today's shedder in the spotlight hails from New South Wales' far south coast, John Glover, OAM, better known as Gloves to his mates, is a founding father of the Naruma Men's Shed, and he has an impressive life history that would take me more than a few minutes to tell you about, so instead, I'm going to get straight into it. John, can you tell me a little bit about your earlier years? Uh, you grew up in southern New South Wales, is that right? Yes, I grew up in a place called Yass. It, um, it's uh, north uh, northwest of uh, Canberra. It's only a small town. And it's uh, Yass has gone through quite a change lately, hasn't it? Because all of a sudden it's not in the middle of the Hume Highway. <laughs> no, uh, and I was involved in that too. But, oh, were you? Uh, 
Yeah, I was mayor at the time uh-huh. uh, when uh, when the bypass was done, which was pretty interesting. We had some uh, interesting times with uh, federal and New South Wales governments at that particular time, uh-huh. trying to get the bypass uh, that suited us and didn't just suit the people from the RTA, DMR, call them what you will. They change their name when they, as soon as you get on their tail. Oh, yeah, that's, that's one of their good tricks. Uh, now, did you enjoy school, John? Was that Well, I went to school in a little place called Goondah, which you can't even find on the map. I think it's disappeared, but wow. it was halfway between Harden and, and Yass uh, on the railway line. And swear the main southern line, uh, there was a takeoff there that went to Burrenjuk during the building of the Burrenjuk Dam. There was a little yeah. two-foot gauge railway line went from there to Burrenjuk to Cattle and cement and whatever down there. Uh-huh. So, uh, yeah, uh, but it was there was only, uh, I think there were five houses and there were nine kids at the school. Uh, <laughs> I got to be the senior one. Oh, fantastic. <laughs> so where was, your, where was your passions, in the academic side or on the sporting side? Probably neither. I'd say I was a hunting, shooting, fishing sort of bloke but as a young fella. Yeah. But uh, cricket, if there was uh, a favourite in sport, yes. Yeah, and so what? You must have got up to some uh, pretty interesting stuff after school. Well, you know, if you call uh, rabbits about a hundred, yes, I did. I'm uh, sure it was nothing for us to uh, myself and the uh, headmaster's eldest son rush to go rabbiting uh, after school and not come back till dark and have anything up to fifty to a hundred rabbits. <laughs> of course, and then the hard work begins, doesn't it? Yeah, well, my father wasn't impressed because it's just a limited number of rabbits that dogs can eat but uh, <laughs> and skinning them and picking out the skins yeah. wasn't all that great of fun. No, it wasn't. Did you eat any of them yourselves? Oh, yeah, we, we always ate rabbit, but uh, then uh, Mixamatosis turned up and uh, mm. had fixed that up. <laughs> we didn't eat rabbit for about, about 30 years Yeah, I tell you what, you pay through the nose for them today too <laughs> Yeah, yeah, well You go to pay $10 or something for, for a bush caught rabbit that you're not too sure of Yes well, Not bloody likely, old chap, I won't do it No <laughs> Now I'm told you're a proud, grumpy granddad <laughs> Tell yeah, me well, about I'm, your family <laughs> <laughs> I've got some. I've got some grandkids, and uh, we love them dearly. Don't see enough of them, but uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It seems that uh, once they hit the twelve, thirteen years old, they're almost disappeared, aren't they? Yeah. Well, I see the younger ones relatively often, and yeah, Judy, my wife's got some. That some boys that are uh, sort of in their teens, and we see a good bit of them, and and that's pretty handy. But uh, it's it's nice to watch them grow and develop. Now, of course, living down that area, um, it's big sheep country, and uh, you were a wool classer. Yeah, a wool classer, rural contractor. Um, I I loved sheep, and um, I have to admit that. Uh huh. You would have had very smooth hands back in those days. Still you? have. You still have. Yeah. Um, wow. It doesn't have any effect on you. A bit of rough work. No, the um, I'd say my nails are probably as good as any 83, 84-year-old would, yeah. uh, would have, but I think it's largely yeah. because of the lanolin in the wool. Yeah, uh, it's amazing. 
I've known a couple of wool classes myself, and and their hands are really something to behold. Yeah. <laughs> well, it gives you you have a great touch too, and uh, uh-huh. you. Uh, it's amazing just how good you can, your hands are. Yes. Well, uh, I've had a, a very long-standing dermatological problem with my hands, and uh, and I can tell you, uh, I also have very good touch. I think I could be a safe cracker. They're so tender. <laughs> <laughs> Now, you've got quite the list of accolades, John, both in services to local government and local agriculture. Um, all your work entailing quite a bit of travel. Where, where have you been? Any standout memories of all the places you've been? I think the Welsh Royal Show. Oh, really? Would have to stand out. Um, it's probably the top of the tree for me. How did you find yourself there? Chairman of the Agricultural Societies of New South Wales. Mm-hmm. And um, I was invited to the Welsh Royal Show as their official guest for that year. That was the year 2000. Hmm. And uh, my late wife and I went over there and we really enjoyed the the show and the hospitality. And I had the um, distinction of um, handing the sash to the winner of the uh, Welsh Cobb for that year, uh, and we had the use of the Prince of Wales's uh, suite at the Welsh Royal Show, and hmm. we were guided around by a couple of detectives, and we had a, a fantastic time, as I can tell you. Oh, it sounds great. It sounds amazing. I don't think you'd have enough time to put up with it anyway. <laughs> <laughs> now, John, you're also a specialist judge for the Young Australian of the Year Awards. I was. Uh, that was, uh, yeah, that was back uh, in John Howard's time. Um, I, I judged the Young Australian of the Year uh, for um, six years, which usually you get three years as a judge. Mm-hmm. But um, because of some of the questions I was capable of asking, I think uh, they kept me on. And also I had a daughter who was uh, pretty good with the bookwork and she helped me read all the CVs and when you get a butter box full of CVs and you've got to go through them all, yeah. you need more than an average amount of uh, A, intelligence and B, knowing where things are yeah. to to, uh, to do the job. And I think she was largely re- responsible for me getting the the six-year stint. was pretty good, though, to go to the, uh, the official dinners in uh, Government House in Canberra. Yeah, now you, you've uh, you've been involved in that with six prime ministers. Tell, tell me all about that. Well, mainly through that job. Wow. So, uh, that, did any of those stand out, or are they all pretty well much of a muchness once you're a prime minister? <laughs> oh, I think I, I think they were probably scared of me anyway. <laughs> tell me about that. And I'd played cricket against John Howard, even though he wouldn't remember it when we were kids. <laughs> Well, you know, I don't think he'll ever get over that piece of footage where <laughs> 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 he's bowling the ball. <laughs> oh, when he got, yes. Well, neither he nor Paul Keating were all that, or Bob Hawke were all that good at cricket. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not surprised. <laughs> I think I probably might have held them at just about that area anyway. Fantastic. Now, we can't have a conversation on the shed wireless without talking about your shed. Tell me about your shed, John. Well, it was started by accident, I suppose. Um, not really, but 
there was a we felt there was a need, and I'll go back to the I was a member of the Lions Club here in Naruma, mm-hmm. and there just seemed to be some people who were some men generally who were at a loose end, mm-hmm. uh, needed something to do, and um, their health was suffering. I think because of that, you know, they'd retired. Some had retired early, and there, there was there wasn't a hell of a lot to do. You can't go fishing two hundred and well three hundred days a year. No. You get a bit sick of it, yeah. but um, three of us were given a thousand dollars from the Lions Club to uh, see if we could start a shed. Mm-hmm. And because of the uh, generosity of some some people that we were able to come uh, acquainted with, uh, mm-hmm. we managed to get some premises for a peppercorn rental, and uh, that was the Macaulay family. Uh, Colin and Chris McCauley, mm-hmm. and it was largely through their generosity that we managed to kick it off. We started running um, garage sales and selling all sorts of bric-a-brac and stuff once a month, and uh, we ended up with a few bob together, and we cleaned up uh, one of the sheds that was on this pr- that were on this particular property, tidied it up, and lined it to some degree, and put flooring down and and generally through the generosity of the people around, we we managed to get it going. Then we built a bigger shed so that we could put more equipment in it. More and more people became interested in the uh, timber side of uh, the thing and then computers and various other directions. Uh, and we, uh, to the stage where it uh, became impossible for us to stay where we were and we managed to get a grant to get hold of some land through uh, the, uh, well, generosity of uh, the local member at the time. Um, he managed to uh, get us some, some land through the RTA that wasn't being used and never likely to be used. And Oh, you got one back on them? Oh, uh, well, every now and then you get one. <laughs> yeah. But it, it, doesn't, it doesn't seem to matter what... Uh, what the politics are, there's always somebody that's going to stand in your road. Yeah. No matter what you want to do. But anyway, through yeah. grants and uh, Mr. Constance's uh, generosity and a couple of other uh, politicians involved, we, we managed to get where we are today, which and it's a pretty incredible sort of a place, our shed. Wow. Uh, but uh, I dropped out of it oh, some years back and let people who were much cleverer than I uh, take over and they've really done a fantastic job and now we include women uh, with the ladies turn up on Fridays and uh, they're being taught to use the machinery and we've we've got all sorts of things down there. Oh, that's wonderful. So what do you like on the tools, John? Well, I don't know. Uh, I'm about as handy as tits on a bull, but... Yep. <laughs> Ashtray on a motorbike, yeah. Yeah, or, you know, a screen door on a sub. But <laughs> that's that's current at the moment anyway. It is. <laughs> What's your favourite thing to do when you're there, mate? Uh, annoy people. Good. You've got, you've got to do something you're good at. Yes, that's that's a great answer. You were the, I think you were the second one quite recently who uh, absolutely relishes the fact that they can boss people around. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, that's about it. I, uh, I'm not big enough to boss them, really, but uh, 
anyway, uh, there are some people I love to cross swords with and uh, having done the sort of thing that I've done and been in so many fields, uh, I just love uh, the interchange among the people. uh, Yeah. Now, um, I hear that you also love both kinds of music, country and western. I do. Yes, and and classical. Yes, uh, that's a bit sort of hard to get over, but having grown up in the bush and, you know, our radio was pretty close to pedal in the early days. So we, <laughs> it was Sunday morning was uh, Rex Morrisby from old 2CA in Canberra. And, wow. Uh, we had to make sure that the battery was fully loaded on Friday afternoon so that we could listen to the to the hillbillies on Sunday. <laughs> so that was probably it. My mum was, uh, she was really... Uh, a trained music musician, she played both the organ, and piano, huh? uh, and played in just about every church in Yass and anywhere else. I think so. Consequently, I had to go to church fairly often. I can't remember what religion I am. <laughs> <laughs> You've been to so many different ones. <laughs> but I used to go with my grandmother, who was deaf, so that was to the Church of England, and I delighted in. The reason I had to go with her was so that I could show where the start of the hymns were. Oh, right. So I used to make sure so that I got up the nose of the organist by starting off either half a bar in front or half a bar behind. So, and Grandma could bellow because she couldn't hear herself. So, <laughs> <laughs> I enjoyed that. That's great. That's wonderful. John, uh, we're both a dying breed. There's not many Johns left around. <laughs> Probably not. no no bigger no. villains on this earth. <laughs> I mean, they go back to biblical times, don't they? Yes, they do. Yes, I think it was called the Thunder Brothers, John and James. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know where I got that from, but there you go. So, But what a life you've led. Um, thank you so much for stopping by on the Shed Wireless, John, and, uh, or should I say Gloves, that's your nickname. And, uh, and I've been called worse. Yeah, I'm sure you have. <laughs> <laughs> I can tell. I can tell you're really trying to keep yourself under control. I am, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> John Glover, thank you so very, very much. Bye-bye. Thank you. We acknowledge the Walbunja people of the Yuin Nation, the traditional custodians on the land which the members of the Naruma Menshed meet. We pay our respects to their elders, past and present. On the tools, on the shed wireless. Marty and Stuart were on the road and popped in to see the fellas at Centenary Suburbs Men's Shed to learn a bit about their Atkinson steam truck project. Over to you, Marty. G'day, JPY. Today, Stuart and I are on the road and uh, we've dropped into the Centenary Suburbs Men's Shed, about 20 k's out of Brisbane, and this place is incredible. And we're, but we're here for one particular project amongst the many myriad of projects they got going on here. One particular project is the Atkinson Steam Truck Project. And we're here with Trevor Johnson, who's the lead on this little project. We're in a little machinery machinery room here. And these guys are geniuses, the, um, the talent behind these guys. But this Atkinson Steam Truck and train you've got there, what, how did this start? What is it? Tell us all about it, Trevor. 
Um, well, what, the way it started was we were discussing how we were going to use the machine shop, which was an area we had set aside in our shed, but uh, was underutilised um, and was actually being used as a storeroom. We discussed actually building a model steam train, but we, the problem with that was actually having to have rails and things like that to run it. And so um, I suggested we uh, maybe make a... Uh, a traction engine, uh, which is like a, a steam-driven tractor from about the early 1900s. And we did a bit of research and we found that um, we could get the castings uh, from a group in, in South Australia called the, it's called the uh, Auchin Builders Group. And um, uh, we, we put a budget together and we approached the council and said, uh, can you fund, fund this? And they said, um, well, providing there's enough community support, uh, yes, we were prepared to put a grant in. Uh, this was before the floods, of course, so they had a bit of spare money. So we approached uh, various um, organisations we do work for, uh, schools and uh, sporting clubs and, and that sort of thing. Gave us letters of support and we put it together and uh, uh, in a grant application and we also used the fact that we could use some of the skills of the guys in, who were already in our shed that uh, weren't being used and... Um, and eventually we got the money and uh, so we started work on the, first of all, the riding truck, which is the truck that is pulled along by the tractor. That's where you sit when you're driving it, but it's also got room for three adults on it as well. And, um, and then we started on the, uh, on the tractor itself. We bought, bought the castings from the builders group. Uh, we had the boiler made in South Australia, it's a steel boiler, and we, some of the uh, items that were too big for our equipment, uh, we also got done in South Australia, like cutting gears and things like that, which we don't have the ability to do. And then over a period of two years, we, uh, we gradually machined the castings and, and uh, put it all together. Uh, we had a bit of help from some of the local businesses, the, um, the polyurethane wheels on the, or tyres on the wheels were... Um, were donated by a company, uh, which was very, very kind of them. Uh, some of the grit blasting on the uh, was done, also done uh, free of charge. One of the interesting bits about the project was the wheels uh, have riveted spokes, so we had to uh, reintroduce the old practice of riveting. We used a hand, a hand-operated uh, press to do. Uh, I'm not sure how many rivets are in there, but several hundred. Uh, so. Uh, that was one of the first uh, items we did, and uh, then we just kept going until it was finished. Mate, this is a work of art. It is a masterpiece. It, it really is. I, I encourage everyone to have a look, to jump on the Centennial, uh, Centenary Suburbs Men's Shed website or their Facebook page and check out some photos of this thing, if, especially if you're a little model train or enthusiast or steam engine enthusiast. So there's, we're in this little shed. There's probably about five guys here, obviously very, very talented gentlemen here, and have machined the majority of this, this, you know, masterpiece here, putting it all together. So over over several years, you say? Yeah, it took us the best part of two years to actually uh, build it. Uh, we had a couple of interruptions from COVID, of course, in the in the uh, interim, which sort of shut us down for a few weeks at a time. But uh, yeah. generally, it was just a matter of keeping going and you know getting the various assemblies done, and then. Uh, as they were done, we, we put them on the, on the boiler. Everything sort of hangs off the boiler. Uh, so, um, eventually, and eventually we, we got it finished. There's a whole heap of um, die casting and uh, brass and uh, copper work in, involved in, in this. Did you have someone that only focused on that area? I did most of the copper, uh, the, the piping. Right. Um, but the machining was done by, uh, 
I think three three odd people worked on the machining of the castings and that's the that sort of thing um, including uh, one of the guys um, uh, who, who's a very competent machinist made the governor on the oh, on yeah. the thing so um, it was an interesting project there's some, some uh, real challenges in parts of it well <laughs> one of the big challenges was that the uh, the item is a quarter scale model of, a, of an actual uh, machine the drawings we had were all in uh, imperial units um, <laughs> And uh, we had to modify it all, but to, just to make matters worse, the boiler, the original uh, uh, scale size boiler was 190 OD, whereas the one we got was 220 OD because you can't buy boiler tube in 190 anymore. <laughs> so, so anything that sort of fitted across the boiler, the, the, the dimensions had to be modified to... Uh, to, to fit, so there was a couple of challenges in the dimensional side side of things. So, what, so what's your background, Trevor? How did you get into this? Uh, I'm a mechanical engineer. Um, I, ma I mainly worked in mining, uh, in the building of design and building of process plants. Uh, but um, I've been in the shed since it was started, just after the 2011 floods in Brisbane, and. Um, I've always had an interest in steam. I've actually yeah. built a couple of small steam models myself and um, I thought that with the right sort of help from some of the guys that you know knew how to properly operate machine tools, uh, we, could, we could build one. So that's where it all came from. So, so a very important question, does it go? Well, yeah, it goes. So we, we've had it. The, the boiler's actually registered at the moment. Um, we've had it out with, uh, as I said, with three, uh, four adults on the riding truck. Four adults. Yeah. So. Um, so you've yeah. had it pressure tested and everything. Yes, is what yes. you're saying. Yeah, it's right got by being registered. You mean it's been pressure it's tested? It's got to be pressure tested. And, yeah. And yeah. Uh, verified. Yeah. The thing with with boilers is um, they've all got to meet a code, uh -huh. uh, Australian code. And uh, most models of this size are either steel or copper boilers. Yep. Uh, this one's a steel, the steel boiler. The new truck we're making has actually got a copper boiler. Oh, right. Okay. So, um, Dif the difference? Um, the difference between the copper and steel? Not a lot? Not a lot, I don't think. It's, uh, the, the smaller boilers tend to be copper rather okay. than steel. Right. Um, this boiler was actually designed by the Alchin Builders Group based on the original design. Mm -hmm. So the drawings were already approved for manufacture. Yeah. Um, and when you're making a boiler, uh, you've got to comply with the code. There are various stages during manufacture that uh, the it has to be signed off by a boiler inspector. Right. And then the final stage um, is that it goes, undergoes a hydrostatic test where they pump it up with to pressure with uh, yeah. to 150% of pressure I think it is with uh, with water yeah. and hold the pressure for a certain period of time and then um, it'll be signed off as, as uh, certified then once the model is incorporated into the machine uh, it's got to be tested again at uh, operating pressure which in our case is 100 psi make sure the relief valve works and and that sort of thing so um, when, when you consider most car tires are only up to 35 psi or 45 psi for a, like a track tire 100 psi you're, you're you're dealing with some serious pressure that's right. yeah, yeah yeah so that's why it's got to be uh, if you're going to use it with the public you, you know it's got to be certified well that that's leads me to my next question what are you going to do with it at the moment, yes, you can see it's on a rolling road, so we can actually operate it on compressed air. Uh, one of the problems with firing it on steam is it takes about three quarters of an hour to, to get up the pressure. 
and um, and then you've got to cool it down afterwards. So and we're only here for half a day, so it takes <laughs> takes a fair bit out of, out of a day to steam it. But um, we have fired it up on compressed air. We took it to a recent seniors expo on on a trailer yeah, wow. uh, with a compressor and and actually had it running at the at the uh, seniors expo. Uh, we have talked about taking it along to fates and things, but there's a few. Uh, difficulties in that you really have to uh, mark off an area where you're going to run it and make sure kids don't get too close to where you've got hot steam coming out and you know and open gears and, and that sort of thing so uh, yeah this is strictly a big boys toy isn't it this one we don't well, want kids playing with this sort of thing well it's it's all uh, it's also got some serious weight involved in everything i can see it weighs uh you know about 250 kilos there you go specific now just going back to the rolling road uh, for those that are uninitiated of what a rolling road is think of a dyno uh, in a a car shop a mechanic shop where the car can go on the wheels uh, can spin around as or a a treadmill at the gym oh pretty much there you go same sort of thing and it can basically run on the spot without going anywhere and i love the the way you've put this thing together you can Uh, lock it up and take it off and yeah. Now, if you don't, if you don't got it, we'll just build it. That's what they say. Yeah. So, moving on, you've you've got another. You've, this one's done and dusted. You've done this project. We're moving over here. You've got your second pro, another project you've got happening here. What's this one going to be? Uh, this is a, an Atkinson steam truck. Um, the difference with this one is it's got a vertical boiler, uh, and it'll be a copper boiler this time, and it's got a two-cylinder engine, underslung engine, uh, and then a chain drive to the uh, to the rear axle. It's a, it's a bit of a different construction, and this is why, why we chose it as the, as the next uh, model to build. Wow. Well, got a bit of time on your hands, you boys, don't you? So what do, you, what do your wives think? <laughs> well, I mean, like all men shit, I guess they're glad to get rid of us. But, uh, <laughs> um, uh, wow. You know, but um, it's, they're not, they're not uh, uh, quick projects to build. Most of them take, you know, well, this one will take the best part of two years too by the time we finished. Yeah, but, wow. Mate, the pride you guys must have in what you've achieved here is just amazing. So, yeah, mate, hats off to you. This, this is incredible. Like I said... Get on, the, get on their website, check out. I'm going to put some photos on our website, uh, our Facebook page. But um, this is just incredible stuff for any enthusiast. And we're going to have to get you along to the next uh, Men's Shed event, I think, and uh, see if we can spark <laughs> this thing up. I'd love to see it in action. For us. Yeah. Well, yeah. That would be yeah. fantastic. Well, well, thanks very much, Trevor, and thanks to the rest of you guys for having us today. Brilliant. Um, really, really good. Amazing stuff. Keep up the good work. Can't wait to see this, this little baby finished. We'll be up here next time. Would you like to see it run? Oh, would we ever? <laughs> <laughs> All right, the guys, the guys are going to spark her up. We're just hooking it up to the compressor now. And um, we're going to give this baby go. Here we go. And we're in motion. Unbelievable. Well, the credit to you, Trev. Well done, mate. And to all the boys. Unbelievable. This is just men's shed craftsmanship at its best. Fantastic. All right, JP, we better get back to you. We might even hook the trailer on and see if they'll take me and Stuart for a ride. All right, guys. Catch you soon. Are you working on a special project at your shed or maybe even at home? I'd love to hear about it. Send me an email to theshedwireless at menshed.com. On the road, on the Shed Wireless. Well, here we are back with Butch (laughs) on the road. Now, this time, you're going to go out to the Kimberley, Butch. That sounds pretty exciting, mate. 
Yeah, look, I've been look, look. It's one of those bucket list things, the Kimberleys, for me. Um, I yeah. don't know if you've ever been there, but every, no, I haven't. No. All the videos and the books and the magazines, you see the Kimberley. It just looks like an amazing place. And I've had a few friends that go up there, and they just come back raving about it. So, yeah, um, you know, me, I only travel for fishing, so I had to look up a a special charter that does mainly fishing in the Kimberleys because most of the Kimberley charters liverboards are on big mm-hmm. uh, big boats with hundreds of people on board and you you get on yeah. here and there and you look at this and you look at that. But I managed to hunt one up that um, specialises in fishing. So basically you fly to Darwin, then he picks you up there. You go in a, in a minibus to Derby and right. you get on the boat there. It's a 50-footer, eight, eight punters on board, um, all mod cons. It's only, it's only a 50-footer, so it's not like a... But but they have two. Yeah, but I mean, with that, with only eight people, fifty foot is pretty good. Yeah, it's good. You're yeah, it's, it sounds fantastic. And I've seen all the photos and all that stuff and that, how many fish they catch. And so they, hang on now, Darwin to Derby. How, yeah, how big well, a journey is that? It's apparently it's only one and a half hour drive. It's oh. north of Broome. No, I've got it all wrong. I'm sorry. I'm you sorry. have got it all wrong. I went, we're flying to Broome and then to Derby. Okay. All right. So, so yeah. Okay. Okay. We, we'll start again. So, okay. so your trip to the Kimberley, how, where do you, where do you fly into? Well, we fly into, into Broome. Um, yeah. It picked up. So the, the first night you spend in, um, in Broome overnighting and then the next mm-hmm. morning they pick you up and they take you to Derby, which is where the, um, the boat is situated. Now, is it Derby or Derby? No, Derby. It's Derby, mate. It's like Jervis okay, Bay. Just making sure, just making sure. Like Jervis <laughs> Bay, not Jarvis. Uh, <laughs> you got to have the local pronunciations. Um, then you spend nine days on board this boat. Wow. And, and you travel up and down the Kimberleys, and it's based around fishing. So um, wherever you stop and overnight, you just get into the – they've got two dories or two tinnies or – two tenders or whatever you want to call them, with a guide mm-hmm. on board and two or three of you or four of you get on board and off you go fishing. Then you come back. Now, what, what, what is the body of water that you're fishing in? What's that well, called? Well, it's just the whole of the the coastline from Broome. Uh, well, probably I think they go from Derby back down to Broome, then Broome back up to Derby, then further north uh, for four days and then work their way back for the next four days. But this waterway is open to the ocean. Oh, absolutely! Yeah, yeah, it's all ocean. Yeah, the, the Kimberleys are all ocean. But what you, what they do, they you stop at various rivers. So you hug the coast, and then you find a nice little river, and then you park oh, there, and yeah. then you you fish in there for barramundi and all that other stuff, mangrove jack, greenfish, wow. whatever, and um, finger mark brim again. Absolutely, it's one of my favourites. Um, <laughs> they um, actually they call them golden snapper there. So that's a, true. That's a, yes, in Darwin they were calling them that. Yeah, yeah golden snap. Well, they got that golden sheen about them, haven't they? So yes, they have. Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, that that's black, more pronounced than the finger mark. Yeah, yeah. and the, they've got, still got the black mark at the back. That's that's why they're called finger mark in Queensland. They have got that sort of thumbprint, uh-huh. thumbprint at the back if you look closely enough. So yeah. that's going to be nine days on board, all catered for. Hopefully, eating a lot of mud crabs, mate. You love your mud crabs, so. Oh yeah. So we, uh, we put that very pots out and um, all, all included. Um, just just the 
nine days on board might be a bit of a yeah. bit of a you know bit of a hard slog, but that's the way they do it. So um, looking forward, I'm dying to go to the Kimberleys, mate. Dying. It sounds pretty good. So without frightening me too much, how how much does something like this cost? All right, so it basically works out for the nine days. On this particular trip, it's about a thousand dollars a day, right? Air, yeah. Um, But that 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 includes the the flights there and back for me. Okay. So the actual trip was six thousand, I think, for nine days, and then you've got you've got the flights there and back, which aren't cheap anymore, unfortunately. No. And then you've got a night's accommodation um, at Broome, going there, and night's accommodation coming back. Which adds another so right, round round figures about ten grand for ten days. Yeah, no, yeah, 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 bit bit less probably, but that's mm-hmm. a lot cheaper than some of the other upmarket ones as you can imagine. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, I'm determined to do it. Um, I just love love the thought of going to the Kimberleys. I'll see all the sites, you know, the vertical falls and and all the yeah. waterfalls and whatever. And we're going in about a month's time, which means it's. No, no chance of a cyclone. Um, mm-hmm. They had one there about a month ago, and that that should be the last of them. And yeah, it should be pretty mild weather. Which nine days on a boat, um, as you could imagine, if it's very hot and sunny, it's not all that pleasant. But they've got air conditioning on board and all that, and yeah. I reckon you can sleep out on deck in a, at night if you want to, and all that sort of stuff. Pretty, yeah, pretty amenable. That sounds pretty good. Yeah, I think I, I think I'd, uh, I would like to do it one day. Nine days, wow, that's a that's a fair stretch. You, you you're going to be bouncing up and down for a few days after you get off. Well, that's it. The old sea legs. I think he does a short. I think he does a five day one as well. So uh-huh. we we'll, we can suss that out one day. A five yep. day one might be might be easier to do. I just chose the nine. Just I thought while well, I'm well, you know, paying for the airfares, I might as well do the extra four days. Yep. Use them up. I uh, I actually bumped into a, an old friend of mine from the Variety Bash at um, at Darwin Airport, and they'd just come back from one of the islands out there, and I can't remember which one it was. Mm-hmm. Um, and he showed me some uh, very very good photos of uh, one meter barra. Oh, you know, yeah, <laughs> that they were you know tag and releasing, you know, and yeah, uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> It so was, uh, they went to one of the rivers out of Darwin, did they? Is that what they did? Or well, I think I think they were based on one of the islands off Darwin. Oh, I think they were probably itself. the Tiwi. Yeah. yeah, probably one of the Tiwi Islands. Or, yeah. and there's so many of them up there. I get I get them very confused. Yeah, yeah, I know. Uh, apparently, now for those uh, for those poor suckers like us who are stuck at home yep. and can't go to the Kimberley. Yep. Um, this time of year is basically very quiet around the waterways so it's the time to check your equipment really isn't it yeah like if, if you've got a boat let's let's face it we've faced this many times in the past the first thing <laughs> yeah. you check is your boat is your wheel bearings isn't it on your trail yeah yeah <laughs> we had yeah. a few, few adventures with wheels falling off trailers up and down yes. different parts of the coast and your winch and the winch you've got to check your winch yeah. um all your runners on your rollers and all that sort of stuff. Basically, you've just got to get your get a boat off the trailer, park your boat somewhere, and take your trailer to a mechanic or do it yourself. I mean, it's not that hard yeah. to change wheel bearings. I mean, and no. then work on your winch, get it all lubed up. Um, 
obviously check your um, your, your rope, your tow tow rope. These days they, they seem to come with those uh, straps that um, that use for um, your straps in your car, you know. So yeah, yeah. you don't get the fraying, you don't get the um, corrosion. And the old metal ones we used to use that used to fray mm. and break off halfway up the halfway up the when the boat's trying to get onto the trailer. Yeah. Um, then the motors are the obvious other thing. You just check all the oil, change your oil, change your oil in the grease oil, the um, you know the gearbox, which is easy yep. to do. That's yep. You know, do two 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 screws basically, and then yep. take the lid off and spray with some WD forty. Wipe off um, any any accumulated grease and um, grease it all up again. So all your linkages yep. are working fine. You change your spark plugs. Um, and make sure that uh, the water is squirting out nice and firm out of the motor when you when you start it up. Yes, you don't go in the water till you've run the motor on dry land. Because remember a couple of times you can remember we used sometimes these um, hornets or wasps used to make little, yes. little nests inside the the tube that lets the water run out. Your telltale. Yeah. And you'd go out and there'd be no water coming out. You have to get a a needle or a bit of wire and poke it up there and yep. all this bit of clay and mud had come pouring out. And the first couple well, of actually, that happened, um, you know, said, that same problem has brought aeroplanes down. Has it? Yeah. Yes, with the, uh, the there's a, a, a piezo something or rather doobie that, uh, that has something to do with the directional uh, uh, capabilities oh, yeah. of aircraft and, uh, yes. and, and they can get blocked up by wasps. Yeah, so that's that's an inlet thing as you're flying in the air to sort of give you your airspeed or something, I guess. I, I think know. it is, yeah, the airspeed. I think you're right, yeah. Yeah, see, they, these little wasps <laughs> get everywhere and they make, <laughs> they make their nests with bits of um, dirt. So it's like a like a, a blocked-up piece of clay, like a yeah. earwax or something. You could have Instant plug. It. So, yeah, so that's, a, that's, that's basically all you need if you've got a boat and, and a yep. trailer. Uh, your boat's on the water. Obviously, you get it out and get the bottom cleaned and uh, anti-fouled and check your prop and make sure there's no fishing line around the prop. Mm -hmm. That can be terrible, you know. And don't forget, when you are fishing them, you find a bit of fishing line tang tangled around. For God's sake, don't throw it back. No. <laughs> <laughs> don't throw it back. No. You know. <laughs> put it in your pocket, take it home, put it in the Yeah, yeah. that's right. Yep, yep, yep. Well, Butch, it's been great having another chat with you and uh, have yourself a, a good time up there at the Kimberley. I, I know you will. And um, and I know that you also will refuse to bring me back anything to eat. Uh, it's very difficult. The logistics are terrible. You know that. Uh, trying, to, yeah. trying to get frozen fish back. Yeah, I just managed to, to do it from Darwin. But, you know, yeah, talk away. Yeah, I mean, I, <laughs> I managed to do it from Darwin. I'm sure you can do it from De Derby Derby Broom. <laughs> well, I've got that layover one night in in um, in Broom, so I do take a um, a little esky with me for my medical. Yeah, well, you know, they'll have a freezer on board. You know, you can bring it back frozen, and yeah, uh, you yeah, know, okay. there's probably in more danger coming up the freeway to me, really. Yeah, yeah, fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> well, if All I right, Bruce, know, we might organise a fishing trip up your way. We shall, we shall do, or at least back up to the Bellinger River. Okay. <laughs> Good on you, mate. Thank you. Bye, mate. Talk to you soon. Thank you again. Bye. Bye. On the Pulse, on the Shed Wireless.
While not often talked about, bladder cancer is the 11th most common cancer in Australia, with a much higher prevalence in older blokes. Beat Bladder Cancer Australia is an Australian charity dedicated to increase awareness of bladder cancer in the community and to provide information, advice and support services to those touched by or working with bladder cancer. Stuart's got our finger on the pulse with Adam Lynch from Beat Bladder Cancer Australia. Thanks very much, JPY. This is Stuart from the Australian Men's Shed Association Men's Health Project Officer bringing to you On The Pulse. Uh, we welcome today uh, Adam Lynch, who's the president of Beat Cancer. Uh, Beat bad Bladder Cancer, may I? <laughs> Sorry about that. Adam, how are you? Thank you, Stuart. Thank you, uh, everyone at Men's Shed. I'm fantastic. I'm um, enjoying 2023. I'm... Uh, Got lots of exciting things going on with uh, with Beat Bladder Cancer Australia and uh, enjoying life as a dad. So uh, it's pretty good at the moment. Thank you. Absolutely fantastic, mate. Dan, to kick us off, can you fill us in how you got inv- involved with Beat? Yes, it was um, pretty straightforward actually. My wife um, Anna, she passed away from bladder cancer in um, in two thousand and eighteen. Uh, she was only 45 years old and at the time we we had two children at the time they were 10 years old and 12 years old um so it was a you know pretty confronting um time for us and through Anna's illness she she was only she was diagnosed 14 months before she passed away so it was quite a quick um sort of experience and journey for her but through, through that um, journey, we, we found that there was a very little information, very little support for bladder cancer. There were lots of cancer organizations, but, but in terms of bladder cancer, there were very, very few that were sort of patient-friendly um, and Australian-based. Um, yeah. And so through her journey, she said, you know, when I get better, I'm, I'm, I'm going to do something about that and, and, and create something which would help other people um, so we don't, they don't have the experience we did. Now, unfortunately, she wasn't able to do that, uh, but in her memory, we founded BEAT. So I founded it actually with um, her surgeon. Uh, and then we formed the organization in 2018. And uh, we've gone, uh, gone from strength to strength. We just had a fifth, um, fifth birthday, yeah. Um, recently so uh, um, and just just a bit of uh, a few uh, for statistics in in Australia over 3,000 people are diagnosed each year with bladder cancer it's actually the 10th most common cancer in in Australia even though a lot of people don't know about it over a thousand people die from bladder cancer it has one of the lowest survival rates of uh, of, of all cancers oh, and okay. um, and three to one male to female. So you're three times more likely to get bladder cancer if you are, are a male. And probably quite relevant to the demographic within men's shed. You know, unfortunately, it's, it's sort of men, men over 65 who are um, you know, the highest cohort of, of, um, of people who do get diagnosed. So it's really, really important um you know this message around around bladder cancer and bladder cancer support okay and we'll get we'll get into uh what is bladder cancer and a bit more detail about bladder cancer in itself um but just to um i, I suppose 
go down another avenue. Um, I see a lot of bumper stickers these days saying F um, cancer, etc., etc. Um, I like your beat uh, bladder cancer uh, as a uh, and, and the beat being all in capitals. Does beat is it is it an acronym? Is, is does it spell something out, or or is it just uh, a very positive affirmative um, statement? It's a bit of both. Um, so BEAT is an acronym. It stands for uh, B is for bladder cancer, E is education, A is awareness, and T is treatment. But, but So it, it is an acronym, but the main message here is, is exactly what you said. It's, it's that kind of word, you know, we're going to beat bladder cancer. We, we're going to beat this thing. And it's also a powerful, very easy to remember name. So, yeah. um, so that's really so. It's a bit a bit of both to answer your question. But you know, we 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 um, you know, our full name is Beat Bladder Cancer Australia. But it's nice to be able to just refer to ourselves as Beat, which is an easy to remember, easy to say um, acronym um, for uh, for what who we are. Yeah. I've been going through your, your, your website and it, it um, is very well laid out and, and very informative and simple to na- navigate. Uh, I love how you've broken down uh, the, the segments quite clearly into symptoms, diagnosis, treatment, support. And, and then, you know, one of the um, very interesting points is living with bladder cancer, just as uh, many men will live with prostate cancer. Um, uh, I, th- I think it's something a lot of people need to consider these days that, uh, you know, if they get this uh, dreaded uh, diagnosis, there's several ways that you can go. But before you get to that stage, what, what are the symptoms? What are we looking for? Yeah, so this is probably the, you know, the most important message that I want to I wanna give today is, is what the symptoms are. Because the symptoms typically... I'll talk what they are to start with. The, the main symptom for bladder cancer is blood in your urine. And that can range from some people will have just a very small amount. So it's just a tinge of red in, in, their, in their pee. And some people have, 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 have reported that it's, it's like Coca-Cola color. It's, you know, it, it's really um, intense um, blood in the urine. Okay. So blood in the urine is the main one. That's about 80% of... of um, of diagnosis, but also recurring UTI, so urinary tract infections. Now that's mainly for women, um, but men do definitely get uh, recurring UTIs. And the problem with that is that GPs will continue to treat it as a UTI and then weeks and weeks and weeks and months go by before they actually go, oh, it might not be. And then the third one is sort of frequent or a sudden need to, to pee. So if you're going much more often or you've got a real urgency, then, um, then that, is, that is a potential symptom. Now, what we, what we, we have a tagline saying, blood in your pee, see your GP. So it's a simple, easy tagline. What it's saying is, here's the symptom. Please do something about it. Now, it may not be, it's likely not to be bladder cancer, but please go and get it checked. Because us blokes, we're the worst, right? We, we don't talk to our partners. We don't talk to our friends. We don't go to the doctor when we have health issues. We, we're embarrassed or we laugh it off. 
um, or we, you know, all those other things that are just more important. (laughs) That's right. We feel that way anyway. That's right. You know, I can't fit it in. I've got something else to, you know, to do today, but for whatever reason, we, we very often find, um, um, occasion, you know, not to go and see the doctor. And, And that's what we're really urging is that, is that if you do see blood, go and see the doctor and, and, and they can, lead you through the process of, of whatever diagnosis whatever diagnosis it is mm. and, and the good thing about bladder cancer is that because it's within the bladder if it's if it's found early and you act early on it it's very very treatable it's if you leave it late and it gets beyond the bladder that's when that's when that's when problems start okay is it, is it isn't this so familiar in regards to uh, prostate cancer um uh, they they talk about uh, blood in your your uh, stool sample, mm-hmm. and uh, and I had that, and it, you know your mind races away and going, I've got you know bowel cancer, rah rah rah, and then you go and get tested, and you just find out then that it's a little polyp that's burst, um, in in uh, regards to blood in your PC, your GP, you know you could have eaten a whole heap of beetroot. Um, I, I remember a story of uh, friends that went to a barbecue and uh, my friend was uh, particularly keen on beetroot. He uh, wafted down a, a whole heap out of the uh, <laughs> tray, went to the loo that night and almost had a heart attack. Uh, but, you know, um, even uh, straining to go to the toilet, you know, big symptom, uh, uh, symptoms of uh, uh, possible prostate cancer. But yeah. here we, we see an, a different symptom of bladder cancer. Um, it's all down in this region. If we have anything that's happening um, down in our, our bowels and our um, prostate and, uh, and the like, we'd really need to get to the GP really quick. And I think that's a, a big part of raising the awareness, which is another thing that your website does uh, and give plenty of, gives plenty of information and support. Can you tell us a bit more about uh, what's available on the on the website? Um, yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, there's 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 probably three things we do as a as 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 an organisation. We we do a lot of awareness um, type of activity, and that's out to the general public. So ev- everyone in Australia, and we 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 have a, a very striking kind of blood in your pc your gp wine glass image which we use for poster campaigns in toilets um digital screens in shopping centers we use on social media um and that is our sort of message to really kind of hit home in a striking but but not too confrontational way so that people remember that the image remember the tagline and think you know what Ah, oh, blood. Yeah, I will. I will do something about it. Um, and and so we, you know, we let's say we've we've done poster campaigns, digital screen campaigns, and if we have posters, if anyone is interested in us sending posters to them so they can put them up in their local area, then that would be amazing because uh, because you know we can't get everywhere, um, and yeah. uh, it's up to all of us to sort of share and spread awareness. So. Actually, Adam, I was just about to ask if there was a section on on your website where men sheds could, um, I, I suppose, uh, go in and actually download that poster. But you're quite happy to mail them out. Yeah, absolutely. We do have um, our brochures, so we I'll talk about the brochures in in, in, a, in a bit. We have a few brochures that um, 
are on the website and can be downloaded. But what we what we say is, you know, just email us and just say, hey, I'd like this number of posters or this this number of brochures, and we'll 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 post them out to you um, because you're doing amazing things by by sharing and spreading the word locally so the least we can do is get that uh, get those out to you to make it easy for you the other thing i liked about the website was the videos that were available some very interesting stories and uh, we're uh, gonna have a look at steve's uh, story um somewhere down the down the track um we've just got to do a little bit of editing uh, to to his story but he goes through from um you know, being aware that something wasn't quite right to, you know, going and getting it checked and the reluctance of getting it checked. Uh, I think he, he uh, weaves into his story. Uh, but then all the supports that uh, he he came across, um, obviously um, by being involved with uh, the BEAT uh, organisation, um, it's helped him through that process. Um what else is there on the website that uh, might be of assistance? Yeah, there's, there's, there, are, there are a few um, patient experiences and patient stories, which, like Steve's one, uh, is very real. It really brings things to life um, and is so interesting to hear people's experience and, and, and actually the, you know, the, the, the common things and the differences between them, but they're very relatable which is why we, we have a, a large number of, of patient experience videos there. But the website itself, uh, Stuart, is it's broken into five key categories. You mentioned it earlier. It's symptoms, diagnosis, treatment, support, and living with bladder cancer. And the reason that's the kind of the, the foremost part of the website is people will only go to the website when they've been touched by bladder cancer it's not the kind of place you go just if you if you've got a few minutes spare and you're just you're just sort of surfing the web you've either you've you're either exhibiting symptoms you're either about to go for surgery you're about to speak to the doctor and uh, about your diagnosis and you're you're scared you're emotional you're you 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 don't know this new world that you've been thrown into and so the information we have under each of those categories, we have a lot of video, short bite-sized videos, which are from medical professionals, whether that be GPs or urologists or oncologists, talking in simple terms, what these things mean, you know, what are your treatment options? What to expect when you go through diagnosis? What are the tests that you will need to go through, etc. So mm. there are a lot of videos in there. There are some information sheets which are downloadable and printable and they're things that you want, might want to take away after you're seeing the video and you want something to go and show your partner or, or just to digest in, in your own way. And then we also have, which is really um, well used, a, a question lists. So for every stage of your journey, we have a, a bunch of question lists which you take to your doctor. So let's say you're you're getting your results back and you're going to see a urologist for a diagnosis. There's a, a sheet there which, which is to take to urologist. So you've got it on your lap hmm. because you'll forget. You'll forget what to say. You're emotional. It's, say, it's medical speak, which you don't understand. And so this is really just a trigger for you to, you know, to really help that conversation. Because we want patients to be informed 
Um, and if they have that as a, as a crutch to, to lean on, it helps the, a, a much more informed conversation to be had with, with, with the doctor. I could imagine that you might feel like a deer in the headlights type. <clears throat> um, you 've got so many things uh, processing in your brain and trying to take in all the information uh, sometimes we forget to ask the the simplest of questions, so to have that guide to take you through um, is obviously going to help and make you feel a little more confident uh, maybe uh, about being prepared before you go into some of these um, appointments. Yeah, that, that's so, so true. I mean, I, I've been, I speak from personal experience when Anna went through all of her doctor's appointments and it's a whirlwind. And mm. as I say, it's things you don't understand. Um, you're emotional. You, you are that deer in headlights. And just to have something just to lean on um, to help you and inform you and, and question, you know, challenge the doctor. Uh, that's what we want. We want, we want, we want you to be informed so you like you so you get the best treatment you get the best options because sometimes doctors aren't don't always provide you all the options that you should be offered mm -hmm. um, and so we want we want the, we want you to 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 help be involved in that discussion so you get the best care that you possibly can but you're also empowered by that uh, that that um, actual engagement <clears throat> Adam, thank you so much for your time. Um, you're a not-for-profit organisation and I know you do an annual Anna's Walk uh, and I know uh, that's held in uh, capital cities right across Australia. People can find out information uh, about that walk from your website. Uh, just uh, fill us in on the address for the website, Adam. Yep, so um, you're right. Yes, we do an Anna's Walk every year and we, we hold it in every capital city in each state and territory um, and so our website address is uh, www.beatbladdercanceraustralia.org.au so it's beatbladdercanceraustralia.org.au all, all, all one word. Adam can you tell us a little more about some of the supports that are available? Yeah absolutely this is probably one of the 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 most well-used um, um, services that, that we offer. So we have a monthly online, so it's via Zoom support group, which is available to everybody across Australia. And so we have people from every state and territory, uh, male, female, we have patients, we have carers, different stages of, of their, of their, um, of their uh, cancer journey. Um, and the way it works is we have the first half is a guest speaker. So it can be a health professional of any kind. It could be a physio or a nutritionist or a urologist. We mix it up each month. And then the second half is a group discussion. And we find it so, so valuable. It's like a real family, um, the support, because just the lived experiences that people um, share with one another is, is just wonderful. And you can be as active or, or anonymous as you like within the support group. You can have your video turned on, you can ask questions, or you can have your video turned off and you can just listen in. So it, it's whatever you feel comfortable with. But um, it's been so invaluable for, for many, many of our patients and their carers, um, this, this feeling of support from, from others within the bladder cancer community. 
Fantastic. Adam, once again, thank you so much for coming in and sharing with us. Um, to anybody that's uh, interested, please go and visit the website. I'd love to see a uh, beat bladder cancer, uh, blood in your pee, uh, see your GP poster on the inside of every um, toilet within Mensheds right across Australia. And uh, Adam, once again, thank you very much. You take care and uh, JPY, back over to you. Thank you. For a great range of resources and tools to help you live well, head to the Spanner in the Works website. You can just search it up or go to mailhealth.org.au. Everything you hear on the Shed Wireless is created to inform and is not intended to be a substitute for personal advice from your doctor. Now, before we head on down to a funky little shack, you can listen to Max Playlist on the AMSA YouTube channel. Simply head to YouTube and search Max Music Shack. You can do that straight after you hear us all yabbering on about some brilliant stuff that happened since the 1940s. Well, this is a new little segment we thought we'd try. Um, I've got a friend of mine here, Mac, and uh, I've known Mac for 50 years, and um, he's got a pretty good knowledge of music. And so we thought to ourselves, what would it be like for the average 80-something-year-old today to think back on the different styles of music that he's lived through since the, since the 1940s? So uh, here we are. We're going to call it Mac's Music Shack. And I'm here with Mac. Welcome, Mac. Thank you. Thank you, Youngy. Good to be here. Uh, I've just uh, emerged from the uh, from Mac's music shack, isn't it? That's correct. <laughs> That's correct. I'm glad, I'm glad you got your address right. <laughs> <laughs> so you have the playlist in your hand. And... I do. I do. Now, um, yeah, just before we turned the mic on, you were starting to talk about Bing Crosby and uh, the revelation that he had with microphones. Yes. Well, uh, you know, when you think about it, uh, there's a, you can make an argument that uh, Bing Crosby was the inventor, really, of popular music because he was the first one who realised with microphones you no longer had to project to the back of the theatre. You could sing softly into the microphone. And... Uh, so he developed a style which became known as crooning. Now, the morality groups of the time, the wowsers, let's call them, uh, <laughs> <laughs> they thought that this was a threat to the young girl of the day's morals. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's hard to imagine... But it was bigger than the scandals created by Elvis Presley. Uh, wow. It was a big thing. They wanted Bing Crosby banned. And uh, they were saying <laughs> their attitude was that uh, this style of singing was something akin to uh, whispering sweet nothings in your young girl's ear. I see. Glenn Miller and his band were, you know, they were the absolute champions, I guess, of swing music and, you know, it, it was a frantic time and, the, and the, a lot of the tempos of the music were frantic as well, you know. Uh, uh, and you had uh, things like the Andrews sisters who, uh, you know, brought harmony to it. Mm. Actually, I'm not sure whether they sang harmony or whether they sang in unison. I'm not sure. Oh, no, there was harmony there. Yeah. Most definitely. But, I mean, they, yeah. were, they were a very, very popular act. And yeah, yeah. Swing music. Yeah, and, and that was the, the, the advent of the USO, really, wasn't it? The United States organisation where they, they get all these artists 
and fly them around the world to entertain the troops. That's right. And uh, unfortunately, that didn't work out for Glenn Miller, of course. No, it certainly didn't. No. It certainly didn't. So, uh, um, and then, you know, we can go on to um, Frank Sinatra. Well, Sinatra, the... the is, he, is he 40s or 50s or was he both? He was both. He had two stages to his career. The... Uh, uh, the, the other big, a couple of the other big swing bands of the time was well, probably the biggest one other than Glenn Miller was Tommy Dorsey, uh-huh. and Sinatra started as a feature singer with Tommy Dorsey. Right, and he sang. By this time, by the late forties, Bing Crosby had sort of left his cruising style behind and was doing all sorts of different music. Sinatra started to croon. Mm-hmm. In, in the old Bing style and, you know, everybody knows about the Bobby Soxes and everything, the fainting at the yeah. shows and all yeah. the rest of it. Uh, uh, but uh, uh, Tommy Dorsey always used to say, he, he used to treat Frank Sinatra fairly poorly. He used to say, Sinatra, you're hopeless. You can't, <laughs> you can't sing. Listen to Bing Crosby, for God's sake. <laughs> He's the guy who can sing. Listen to him because he sings the words. He interprets the song and Sinatra just, oh, well, I sing the melody, you know. Sinatra at that time, I remember him saying that he, he sang, always sang the same line as the violins. Right. And but uh, I suppose he, he, he ultimately did learn how to describe well, the song. Well, that's right. In the 50s, yeah. he, he changed his style completely. Right. Now, we... Uh, uh, later on, uh, you know, we're going to we're going to give you access to a, a playlist later on, and you can um, you can listen to all the stuff that we're talking about uh, via YouTube. So, um, Doris Day, yeah, well, the, the late my goodness, the late forties and the fifties, or, or the forties and the fifties were the time of the great American songbook. Yeah. And, you know, you had those brilliant writers, Irving Berlin, the Gershwins, uh, Cole Porter and everything else. And all of the hits came from the musicals that they wrote or for, uh, for either for Broadway or for uh, Hollywood. And uh, the early 50s was a very uh, white bread world, you know. Mm-hmm. And Doris Day, I guess you don't get much more white bread than her. I but, suppose, yes. But she could sing. Oh, yeah, and she had a great, powerful voice. Yeah. yeah. And she was originally a dancer. Mm-hmm. She didn't sing at all. And she had a car accident and ended up having to lie in bed for... Reminiscent of Lucille Ball, who was basically a dancer and uh, became a huge a actress co- and comedian. everything else. Yeah, yeah. A comedian, yeah. Yeah. And uh, so her mother heard her singing along to the radio when she's lying in bed and uh, thought, shit, she can sing. She could sing. <laughs> and uh, so she got her lessons and, and then eventually her mother couldn't afford lessons and the singing teacher said, I'll teach you for free. <laughs> and, uh, and so she did, you know. So, I mean, like I say, she was white bread, but it wasn't Kathy Kirby with uh, how much is that doggy in the window or right. anything like that. Yes, yes. And so, like, the, the, as you say, the, the, the start of the 50s were... It, it was a different time. It was a different time. And then the 50s just got strange. Well, it really was a, 
a decade of change in the 50s. I mean, you, you know, we, we're going to talk about Frank Sinatra again in the 50s. Yeah, well, that's right. He, 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 his career had been in the toilet and uh, he, he changed his style. His voice had changed and he started to really interpret songs. And mm-hmm. he, he, met an, he, was, he left his record label and went to Capitol Records and he met an arranger there called Nelson Riddle who uh, they collaborated on all of uh, those 50s Capitol records, which is his peak. Mm-hmm. And uh, he became a huge star for a second time in the 50s. Yes, I remember. I mean, you, you've, you've got uh, Lady is a Tramp down here. And I remember going to see that movie as a kid. <laughs> yeah. No, he was, he was amazing. Now, you've... you've uh, we're going to swap over to what was happening on the countryside in the 50s. Yeah, well, country music really came into its own in the 50s and started to come into the mainstream. Even some of the crooners were were singing um, uh, Hank Williams songs, mm-hmm. you know, uh, even, uh, oh, jeez, the name escapes me for a minute, but Cold Cold Heart and uh, you, Your Cheating Heart, they both became hit songs for Italian crooners. Uh-huh. And Hank Williams started to, you know, people always think of Hank as singing the saddest, saddest songs, but he had a lot of uh, more up-tempo material and had a sense of humour too. So a couple of those are on the playlist just to... Uh, uh, my that, that, uh, You've got Jambalaya here. Was that an African-American song that was... He wrote it. He wrote it? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, he uh, uh, he well, he worked hard. You know, those days the the country stars they drove from gig to gig and uh, miles and miles, and uh, he was often down in New Orleans. So he picked up things like you say uh, uh-huh. from from the African Americans, and 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 I mean that jambalaya is really a just a menu for a party, you know, jambalaya is a dish and yeah. you'd be a gumbo. So Hank, Hank wasn't from the South? He was, uh, I'm not exactly sure what state, he was from the South, but... Uh, but not the Deep South? Not the Deep South, no. Right. Now, uh, of course, you can't talk about the 50s without talking about Elvis. No, uh, no, that changed everything, didn't it? Yeah. You know, and... Uh, and the thing about Elvis was that he drew from country music, he drew from the blues, like the first three or four records that he put out would have an old uh, blues song like That's All Right Mama, and then on the opposite side they would have a souped up, on the B side they would have a souped up country song, uh, Blue Moon of Kentucky, you know, yeah. things like that, you know. And also the other thing that he brought in was, was uh, gospel music, uh, uh-huh. Mostly, obviously, black gospel music. He uh, was his thing, and and really, that's where he got all of his moves from. Was from those uh, yeah. from those black preachers that he and used he to see. And he stuck with that until the day he died. <laughs> yeah. the, the gospel music, that's for sure. That's right. He loved yeah. gospel music. And one of the greatest lyric writers ever, Chuck Berry. Yeah, yeah. and uh, he was a poet. Yeah, he he was amazing. Yeah. And uh, the, the song on the playlist is The Promised Land. It's probably my favourite song of his. Uh, uh, but the thing about it, I guess, was that all of a sudden black musicians and singers had been locked out of the white market 
for all time, you mm-hmm. know, really. They just didn't get promoted. In the 50s, suddenly there was Chuck Berry, there was Fats Domino, there was Little Richard, of yep. course, you know, and uh, and the white kids started buying these records, so... They had yep. to. They had to put them on the radio because follow them. <laughs> they even had to put them on Dick Clark's bandstand. You know, <laughs> uh, so you know, for really, that was the first time that black artists could uh, could sell their records to to white people. Yeah, white kids just demanded it. Yeah, and then the revolution really kicked on as far as um, you know, teenage kids and everything else, and. Uh, when you get into the early 60s with people like the Everly Brothers, yeah. Yeah, well, the, the Everly Brothers, they had a unique two-part harmony. They 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 were the sons of uh, gospel preachers mm-hmm. and they sang on the radio for from the time they were seven or eight. Yeah. And they developed this beautiful two-part harmony where, you know, you listen to any... Uh, Everly Brothers record, it's very, very hard to pick. <laughs> Who's singing what? <laughs> yeah. yeah. It always just Kind of like the Bee Gees when they were kids. You yeah. Know, it's the same thing. Yeah, yeah that's right. They, and uh, so, I mean, uh, and uh, that sort of harmony from, from partly from them and partly from uh, the black harmony groups like the uh, the Mills Brothers and those sort of guys turned into uh, doo-wop and, um, mm-hmm. you know, uh, Dion and the Belmonts were a pretty good uh, example of it mm-hmm. and uh, they had a huge hit with Teenager in Love. Yep. And then Dion went solo and you have to remember at this stage that Elvis has gone to Germany with the army. And uh, his manager decided the best way to deal with this was to put out as little as possible. He, it was like Economics 101. If you cut off the supply, yeah. you increase the demand. So RCA were booking recording studios for Elvis to make a whole heap of records before he went to Germany. The colonel had agreed to him and then they just wouldn't show up. Right. So when he went to Germany, they had nothing mm-hmm. essentially in the can. So all of these other guys sprung up as Elvis substitutes. Dion was partly part of, part of that role. He right. had some great records with Teenager in Love and uh, – sorry, with uh, Run Around Sue and Ruby Baby. And then we had all the, the, uh, the groups, the girl groups – the boy groups, but the girl groups, you know, we, you, you picked on the Shirelles here yeah, in, in the 60s. Yeah, they were big, you know. And it was a time when uh, the Tin Pan Alley ruled, they wrote all of the songs, the producers like Spectre, and they produced all of the records. The artists were just secondary, but they made, they made some great records. And uh, I, think, I think the Beatles were up. Next, yes, they are. It? They are up next, absolutely. I mean, uh, you couldn't forget the Beatles. And that's mean? why I uh, that's why I put the Shirelles and the Everly and the Everly Brothers in there was because the Beatles had 
they, they were Everly Brothers fanatics uh-huh. and that's how they developed their two-part harmony too. Right. And the and but the other th- one of the other things that they really loved was the girl groups and mm-hmm. uh, their first album it was Baby It's You and uh, yeah there were quite quite a few uh, girl group songs uh, mm-hmm. Ringo even got to sing one boys you know yeah. <laughs> <laughs> which I always found a little strange well there you go <laughs> Ringo's never been straight through is he yeah. I mean there's always <laughs> something strange about him <laughs> and of course once you get to the sixties then. Everything just well. Everything just changes, changed. you know. Like I, I, I will explain to everybody that we're, we're doing a big skim through here. Um, but in in future episodes, we're going to come back and uh, and spend a bit of time on each decade. Um, yeah. So we'll we'll swim we'll swim on to the uh, to the seventies and the well the late seventies and the you got the Eagles down here. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, uh, as I said, in the fifties, country music sort of came. Big in the sixties, country hits started to appear on pop charts, and then there was country rock in the seventies, mm. and uh, that was a big thing. There was a lot of I was a big fan of country rock. Uh, the Eagles were obviously the most successful and went on to do lots of different things, but uh, we could easily do a show about the about country rock. Absolutely, yeah. Uh, and uh, what was uh, the oh, Bob Seger? Yeah, you got Bob Seger next. Yeah, uh, they were in the seventies. There was uh, what what they ended up calling Heartland Rockers, but they were just uh, guys that were passionate about what they were singing about. They had an air of authenticity. I thought, like Bob Seger, uh, uh, Tom Petty, uh, and Springsteen. Of course, you know uh, they. Uh, they were uh, – it was passionate rock. And uh, I put in Hungry Heart. Yeah. I was trying to make it a little bit more pop than uh, than some of the things that I used to listen to. My wife – I was such a huge Springsteen fan that uh, my wife said, Mac, you can drink bourbon and, Mac, you can listen to Bruce Springsteen – but you never listen to Bruce Springsteen while you're drinking bourbon. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Trouble in the Mac household. <laughs> I used to get a little bit wound up. <laughs> All right, we'll go across the English Channel. No, we won't. We'll go across the Irish Channel. Fergal Sharkey. Yeah. Good art. Well, you know, we're talking about the 80s and uh, the 80s is, is such a strange Decade, well, this yeah. is this is round about where I reckon you know anybody born in the nineteen forties. This is this is where they're heading for the time clock to Bundy off. <laughs> <you know? laughs> Quite possibly. <laughs> <Yeah>. so, <laughs> so I tried to pick a, a couple of songs that had real pop roots. Yeah, and Fergal Sharkey, I think that's a great. That was a great record, and uh, uh, Paul. Um, Paul Young, Young, yeah, yeah. I I forgot his his surname there for (laughs) a second. (laughs) Uh, That was a great. uh, That was a great song, but and that was more based in soul music, I guess. And you got a a good old Aussie act in there as well, Monday Rock. Well, I put Monday Rock in there because the the eighties was really when Australian acts started to take off overseas. Yeah, like uh, we'd had the Easy Beats and the Seekers in the sixties, but. 
it was a bit of a drought then, but the 80s bands really, Australian bands really ta- started to take off around the world and, yeah. um, and uh, became became a big market. Like, Living in the land down under. <laughs> that's right, that's right. So uh, we could do easily do a whole show about those bands that broke through in the 80s. Absolutely, and, and, and we will, you know. Mm. We, we, I'm... Uh, I'm quite excited about the uh, the future of this little segment, Max Music Shack. And, yeah, yeah. And thanks for running through all of that with us. And uh, hopefully I'll be back and I'll let you know where you can access all of that music that we've just been talking about. And you'll have your own very own little playlist. You can listen to it in the car, at home, whatever. Max Music Shack. Thanks, Mac. Thank you. Well, in the famous words of Porky Pig, that's all, folks. What did you think about our first visit to Max Music Shack? Is there an era or genre of music you'd like us to take a deep dive into? Let me know at the Shed Wireless at menshed.net. Don't forget to share the podcast with your shedding mates. Give them a hand to follow along on Spotify if you can, or send them to www.menshed.org forward slash the Shed Wireless. Until next time, folks, for the love of shedding. Adios. It don't matter if you work with wood Or fabricating metal is the thing you understood Whatever is your game, everyone's the same Yeah, we can do it all at the men's shed Short, fat, tall, skinny, hairy, bald In the shed it's welcome one and all Share the skills you know We're all having a go There's a healthy